Good evening. How's everyone? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 as we continue our study of the book of Genesis. It's been, um, I think, five weeks that we've, we've dived into the first book of the Bible. Um, when we first uh, kind of started game, uh, gaming out and just discussing how we were going to teach uh, through this book, it was it was impressed from the very beginning that we wanted um, to do it well. Like we didn't want to put constraints on us, we didn't want to put timetables on it. We wanted us uh, to be able to get through Genesis in a timely manner, but at the same time, we wanted to dive in um, to the parts that we needed to dive into. We wanted to study it well. And I think so far uh, we have done that. Um, before we, we continue in into chapter 3, I do want to say a special thanks and, uh, and point out the fact that we are doing a time change. I don't know if word on the street is, 10 o'clock, April 7th, I think it already got announced. Uh, we're going to over-communicate that for the sake of no one showing up at 5 p.m. awkwardly hating me. Um, so we will continue to communicate that. You will get quizzed at the door. There will be handouts. You will be asked to tweet it. But April 7th, we are going to be meeting in the morning. And I never want us to lose sight of, of victories and opportunity to praise God. Um, when we first started this uh, this church, when, when, when God put it on our hearts and said, we're going to plant this church in North Oak Cliff, we're going to build up uh, God's church, um, and we're going to do it locally, we're going to do it right, we're going to grow uh, organically, um, we, 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 have, uh, we, we dove in and we said, we're just going to be faithful to where you call us and when you call us, and we, we've met at multiple places and at multiple times, um, just trying to fill out where God has called us to, um, and about two years ago, uh, God partnered us with Kessler uh, Park Baptist Church, and it has been a beautiful thing. Um, it is the church that meets downstairs, so they have given us upstairs. We use it primarily for kids. We have like three rooms renovated for kids because that's the season of our church's life. Um, each one of you have given birth to like five kids, and that's awesome. <laughs> we love all of them. Um, but uh, it, at first, there was some trepidation on my part. It's sort like, hey, I was born and raised in, in the church. I was born and raised uh, as, as uh, just a Bible-believing um, um, person of saying like, hey, church is beautiful. Everyone inside the church is beautiful. But I had no misconceptions that this no young generation with a bunch of kids was about to partner with a church primarily uh, of older people, and I had this pause of like, this is going to go poorly. And all that was was purely weak faith on my part, uh, because they have been a beautiful partner uh, alongside where they have pretty much said, you do what you need to do to grow your church. When we said, hey, uh, we want to renovate downstairs, we want to decorate a little better, like do it, go to town, do whatever you need to do. Hey, better idea, we want to take over upstairs and we want to completely remodel it. Two thumbs up, let us know if we can help. Said, hey, we're going to move times and we want to meet at the same time as y'all. We're going to be upstairs, y'all going to be downstairs, this church is going to be full. And I remember I walked in that meeting thinking this is going to go so poorly. And every time that my faith has been weak and how we were going to partner with this church, God has answered and the Spirit has moved through that church to say, you do what you need to grow God's church. Uh, we are two um, separate bodies meeting at the same place, worshiping the same God, doing the same work. And it's just been a beautiful thing. So yes, we are moving times. And I think that may be viewed as just a small logistical thing that we're doing, but it is a victory in the sense of we are again partnering with the church. We're doing what we think is best in the life of Trinity Church to grow his church. So I'm excited about the time change. Really excited about this new worship area we've been. I think it, it, it's an intimate space where we can sing praises to God or we can dive into his holy word and we can just be the body together. And I'm really excited what the next season of Trinity Church is. So if you see any 
anyone from Kessler Park because we are about to cohabitate uh, in a very intimate sense. Like so far, we've always been uh, ships passing at different times, but pretty soon we're going to be sharing the same bathroom, sharing the same halls. If you see them, hug them. That we would not be here today. Trinity Church would not exist if it wasn't for the faithful love and of those people downstairs who have just come alongside us and said, "Hey, we've been where you are. We want to guide you through the next season of your life. We want to help you. We want to help facilitate what you need to grow your church." So I'm really excited, and I really want to take a moment and just thank everyone for their faithful service to this church that has brought us to this point. We are nowhere near a victory lap, but I have stopped worrying month to month, which is a really good thing. And I only wake up like one night a week in just dead sweats of like, is anyone going to come Sunday? I hope someone comes and I go back to sleep. It's a lot better. It's a lot better than it was. So I'm thankful for that. So as we dive into chapter 3, it's important to understand where we have come from, and that's really why we picked Genesis to begin with. We wanted to understand our faith better. We wanted to work through the Bible. We have dived into the book of James. We've dived into the book of Colossians. We spent two years in the Gospel of Mark. We take a high priority into the study of God's Word. But as we were picking what comes next, we said, hey, let's start with the beginning, literally. Let's find out where the, the foundations and the pillows of our faith come from. We've already come. We've already uh, gone through three significant pillars in, in the first two chapters, where we saw that God spoke everything into creation. In doing so, He did the same thing with the human race. He made man in the image of Himself. He made God, or He made man in, in the Imago Dei doctrine. It said every person that has been born will be born, and has ever been created and breathed through God has been made in His image. Anyone you come across, anyone you have dealings with, or whether it be family, business, or church, that person was unique made intentionally by a sovereign God and that person was made in the image of that God and that should directly affect how you treat that person. It should directly affect how you live your life knowing that every person you come in contact with was made in the image of your sovereign God. And then last week we went through that that God created family. God created a man and a woman to be together, to cling to each other, to hold fast to each other, to, to be one flesh, bone of the bone, flesh of the flesh, Adam and Eve made the first family. As we talked about last week, it's important to see the emphasis of the family institution being formed by God and quickly thereafter that same institution being attacked by Satan. That's where we're going to find ourselves today, where we see sin entering the world. Genesis 3, the fall, or where Eve eats the fruit. She passes the fruit to Adam. He eats the fruit, and there is a separation. There is where sin came in to the world, and that is where the, the casting out of Eden. And it's important to understand these truths. I know this is a heavy, heavy subject. You're like, sweet, we're going to talk about sin. And you know what? Sin is serious. Sin should break your heart. It is, it is the disobedience. It's the counter opposite of God. It is us being forced out of the presence of God. We are now still yearning for a life to live in Eden, but that Eden is just out of our grasp. There will be a time when there is a heaven on earth, a new heaven on earth. There will be a new Eden, but we are still eagerly yearning for that. We see the Paul in Romans in chapter 8 where he writes that we groan together. We wait eagerly and we have a deep, deep yearning, too deep for words for that time where we can be back in the presence of God. But we're not just covering sin because it's chapter three and it comes after chapter two and we have to get there before we can get to chapter four. It's vital that you understand where we are today as a broken people, where we are and how we got there because there's beautiful redemption in the story, but you have to understand that you need to be redeemed. 
Redemption without the understanding of why you're being redeemed is foolhardy. It's half empty. You can't fully understand salvation until you understand that you have to be saved and what you are being saved from. So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, Genesis 3 is vital. There's a lot of beautiful imagery. There's a lot of things that we need to cover in the entirety of the book. So we're actually going to read the entire chapter. That's not what I bring to the table. My wife's going to come up here. Um, and she's going to read Genesis 3. Since it is a full chapter, stay seated. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one next to you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Let me pray over us and let's dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have as just your sons and daughters to dive into your holy word. God, I pray that for the next few minutes when we dive into scripture that you would just bring forth the knowledge and the wisdom that you want us to have. I pray that the spirit would come in this room and would focus us. I pray that anything that would distract us that you would cast out so we can solely be about your ways and your word for your glory. Amen. All right. 
Thank you. So it's really heavy. Um, I've, I've been churning over this in, in my mind and in my soul all week of how, how do you go across chapter 3 in Genesis. Um, in no means would we ever think about just glazing over it, but how much do we dive in, how much do we dissect, and how much do we do we try to apply on just a, a Monday morning basis. And I came uh, to this conclusion that we have some work to do because we're going to dive in. Like There is so much beautiful imagery. There's so much intentionality in how this was written um, that I really do feel is, is applicable in our life. It's applicable in our understanding of sin. It's applicable in the understanding of the separation that was being drove out of Eden and how we, we feel those pains every day. I don't have to talk you into understanding that we live in a Genesis 3 world, right? Like, if you've lived past the age of 12, you understand this world's broken. And honestly, you don't have to make it to 12 to figure out this world is broken. We know that there is something missing. We know that there is something inside of us yearning for something better. And I think there is hope in understanding sin. Not because it's not sad, and not because it's not devastating in in just the the, uh, trajectory of human life, but there is hope in it because you understand that longing, you understand that yearning. Because whether you're a child of God or not, you are yearning for the Garden of Eden. You were created for the Garden of Eden, and it broke the heart of man to be cast out of it. Whether you call Christ your king, and I pray that everyone under the sound of my breath calls Christ their king. But if you don't, you are still yearning. And I pray that if that's the case for you, we may dive into that yearning. You may understand it, and you may cling to your Savior. So, verse... One in chapter three. Now the serpent. The serpent uh, comes and and singles out Eve when they when she is away from Adam. There's so much imagery on how the family can handle attacks and how the family can be weak. You see the institution of family last week, and you see that uh, that whatever God puts together may no man tear apart. But there is a time uh, when they are separated, and and Satan through the the usage of this serpent um, is coming at Eve and immediately hits her. Did God? actually say. There's so much to the nature of Satan in this. And I remember reading this as a child, and as early as I can remember the the story of the fall, what stuck with me so much is, why is no one making it a bigger deal that this snake is talking? Like, this snake is talking to Eve, and everyone's just acting like it's okay. And the reality is the Bible doesn't speak a lot to that. I don't have a, an answer for you of why this snake was talking and why Eve isn't running because and going, Adam, there's a snake that's talking. This is so bad. I don't know, but that's really not the point of the writer. That's not what Moses was trying to convey. What he's saying is Satan is using a snake. Uh, in Revelations and in other writings in Paul, he is, Satan is literally called the serpent. In this time, he's either taking the form he's possessing or he is using this serpent to, to act out his will, to get his will done through um, engaging Eve and, and, and really just trying to lie and manipulate. And that's really important to understand on how Satan attacks. Satan is not an originator. He is an imitator. Satan is the father of lies. Satan distorts. He questions God's words and then he plays those words on the weakness of man. So he doesn't come out and say, hey, God lied to you. Eat this fruit. He comes out and says, did, did God actually say this? Like, let, let's just play it. It's like you're, you're testifying in court, um, and there's just, just these play on words, and they're just trying to catch you up in what you're saying. And you see Satan praying on this. And then in Genesis 3, verses 6 through 13, you see how these trickery, how this distortion of God's actual words and God's will plays out in the actions of Eve and then the actions of Adam. Um, once... Uh, 
the snake has, has got uh, Eve confused and, and is trying to distort what was actually intended for the order of Eden. You see her now start to notice that tree, that it is good. It is to be desired. It may make us wise. And what's important to take from that is that's really not different than your average life and your average sin nature, your average vice or your average yearn for idolatry. Because make no mistake, this is idolatry. Any sin is idolatry. It's you saying whatever you desire is actually more important than the will of God. Whatever you're going to put on the throne of your heart is more important to you than actually the reigning person in your heart, which is Christ Jesus. So you see that Eve views this tree to be good. She wants to desire it. She wants to be wise. We like beautiful things and we love to be smart. We love the idea of having a full understanding. We love the idea of something just feeling clean. Good vibes and knowledge have taken down many a, a, a faithful person. Uh, good vibes and the idea that this is, this is going to make me look smarter, feel smarter, or have a better understanding of things is, is not in of itself bad, but it is, uh, it is a tricker, chick, uh, I'm getting amped up. It's a tricky step. So you see Eve, and she takes the fruit. She eats the fruit. She then gives the fruit to Adam. Adam knows the fruit and willfully eats it as well. And then you see the exchange made. You see uh, the understanding of God's will cast aside and saying, I know I want what I want when I want it, and I want it right now. I understand what God has told me. There weren't a ton of rules laid out to Adam and Eve, right? Um, I don't know. This is a word for word, exactly everything that was given to them, but everything that was written in the Bible is for our understanding of how they were supposed to live in the Garden of Eden. There weren't a ton of rules. It wasn't something that they just forgot. It wasn't something that they, they got confused in the order and the process process of how their life in Eden was supposed to take place. There were a few trees or two trees they were never supposed to touch and they couldn't even keep half of that right, right? They willfully said, this is the fruit that's forbidden. I'm going to intentionally take it. I'm going to intentionally give it to my husband. The husband's going to know what it is and the husband intentionally ate. And there was an exchange made. Paul writes about this exchange in Romans 1.25 where he says because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. And what Paul is writing there is a recap of what's happening in Genesis 3 where he's saying, you know the rules God's laid out for you. You know what God has in store for you and you know what God is capable of as far as bringing blessings and order and love and peace. And, and you said, instead of having that, I want to exchange it for what I want. I want to worship the creation instead of the creator. And God was walking in the garden and sought them out. That's one of the things that breaks my heart the most. When you see in, in Genesis 3 where it says God was walking in the garden in the coolness of the day. The presence of God was at hand and they exchanged it for a piece of fruit. And that sounds silly, but we do it every day. The presence of God is before us. The presence of God is around us. The Spirit can move through us. And you fill in the bank. It may not be a pomegranate. It may not be an apple. But it is something just as silly and just as sinful. It's easy to read this story and say all you have to do is not eat the fruit and we're still in the garden. That is a complete oversight of what sin nature actually is. All they're doing is saying, this is what God has called me to. I want something different. I'm going to exchange it. And because of that, I don't get to walk alongside God in the coolness of the day. He was in the garden walking alongside them. And he asked, where are you? 
God is omnipresent. He knows exactly where Adam and Eve is. This is God confronting sin. We do not serve a passive-aggressive God. He is not trying to trick them up. He is saying, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come to me as a loving father, and I'm going to seek you out and confront you with your sins. Woo! And Adam says, I heard you coming and I was scared because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from which the tree I have commanded you not to eat? And immediately sin is confronted. Immediately uh, there is consequences. So God first condemns the serpent and He says, because of what you did, because of what you've done, you will crawl on your belly. And I remember thinking, man... Satan possessed one snake. Satan used one serpent for his will, and now every snake ever is going to crawl on his belly. But I read a a beautiful commentary this week that says, every time you see a snake slithering, it should remind you of the fall of man. Every time you see a snake, and snakes freak me out. I do not like them, and it's biblical. It's biblical. You're about to hear why it's biblical. I'm not... A scary cat, and I don't trust you for like snakes. And I'm okay saying that. Like I'm okay saying like, like, no, I'm really into snakes. Read Genesis three. You're not supposed to be. I hate snakes. Oh, I hate snakes. Slithering. Mm. That was a Harry Potter reference. For those of y'all didn't catch that, let's just move past it. Let's just move past that. So he says, you will crawl crawl on on your belly and you will eat the the dust. And important in verse 15 where he says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's talking about the Christ Savior that he is going to send. Who remembers Passion of the Christ, right? It, It was... In, it was a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I'm now just working without a net, guessing about movie times and, and dates. But there's a beautiful imagery at the very, very beginning where you see this creepy snake just slithering around, and then you see the heel of Christ crush it. And it is the proclamation that there will be a, a conqueror of sin. There will be a Savior come in place, and He will crush the head of sin. He will crush the head of Satan, and he will make a way. Then he curses women and say, hey, you will feel the pains of childbirth. Um, you, will, you, shall, uh, you shall understand that giving life to this world will now take, uh, take stuff out of you. Now you will have a high consequence of pain. Um, I always joke that Paul writes about the pains of childbirth, but I've been married too long to joke like I even know what the pains of childbirth is. But what he is saying, that right there, that the feeling of this life-giving process, this is what I've been called to do. Eve means the mother of all living. Even though I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do, there is now pain associated with my calling because of the fall of man. And then he goes on to Adam and says the same thing. I've called you to cultivate this world. I've called you to multiply. I've called you to farm this land. I've called you to hunt this land. But even though I've called you to do it, there will be pain and heartbreak associated with it. Because even though you're inside my calling, you are now living in a broken world. But here's one of the most beautiful things in in chapter 3, where he says, before he casts them out of Eden, before he says, you are now out of my presence, you could not be in in the garden that I've created for you, the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothing. Here's what happened. Sin happened. They understand they were naked. They hid because of their nakedness. And what God did is he clothed them with skin. 
So play that out. How did he get that skin? An animal died. The animal was skinned. The animal bled just so that sin could be covered. It is a foreshadowing of Christ on the cross. He's saying sin has consequences. Something will die. The blood will cover sin. For right now it's an animal because I'm going to cover your nakedness because that is what's made you afraid. That's what's made you ashamed. But there's coming a time when the blood of bulls and goats will no longer cut it and I'm going to need the blood of my son, your Savior. He is saying, hey, your sin, the thing that has brought separation to us, the thing that is the direct enemy of God, is still something I'm going to cover. He could have done anything, and instead of just casting them out or snapping his fingers and starting over, he said, I will still care for you. I will still clothe you. Yes, something's got to die to clothe you, but I will, I will absolutely still be a caring God. There is consequences to the sin. You will no longer be in Eden, but you're going to leave Eden with clothes on your back that I made for you. And that's why we serve a loving God. It is easy to read chapter 3 and say, man, the penalties are harsh. Man, the stakes are high. But the reality is when you dive in a little deeper, you see, yes, we serve a sovereign God, so the consequences of sin must be stiff. But we serve a loving God who will, yes, cast us out of even Eden, but do it with clothes on our back. And Adam and Eve walked out of Eden. And I can't put myself in, in that, that spot because it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to read. If you break down Genesis 3, the saddest part of imagery in my mind is seeing Adam and Eve walking out of, the Eden, walking out of Eden with new clothes, holding hands, realizing nothing will ever be the same. They had an opportunity to walk shoulder to shoulder with God in the presence of Eden. And now they are leaving with bloody garments understanding that because of their actions, nothing will ever be the same. And that's a sad story. There's beautiful redemption in that story, but it is a sad story. But we have to understand it. We can't, we can't partake in the joy of Easter if we don't understand the tragedy of Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3 changes everything. Because we're still yearning for the garden. I'm still yearning for a time where there's not heartbreak. I'm still yearning for a time when there's not loss and sadness and death and tears. I'm still yearning for that time. But I still need to understand the time I've been called to. And I've been called in a Genesis 3 world. I'm living in a broken world living out my faith. And there is still hope in that. There is absolute hope in understanding that yes, we are walking outside of the Garden of Eden. But we are doing so still shoulder to shoulder in the presence of God because our sins have been atoned for. That's the part you say amen. Our sins have been atoned for. Amen. All of you are like, man, this is a lot. I'm just, I, started taking, I stopped taking notes 10 minutes ago. You're talking fast. I'm winding it down. We, we, we joked last week, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the place we used to worship had like nine clocks on the wall. And this place has no clocks on the wall. And we didn't realize that to be really be an issue until we got done like at 6.20 last week. And uh, Casey was like, hey, this is your longest podcast. It's 43 minutes. I was like, next week's about sin. <laughs> I'm joking. I've been looking at my watch. We're good. They, te- they teach you in preaching school. Which they don't, it's not called preaching school. It's just called, college, it's just called college, but I call it preaching school. Never talk about time because now they're going to look at your watch. So I've already broken that rule. If you look at your phone, I'm going to assume you're on Instagram and we need to stay focused. So why do we have to understand sin? Why do we have to understand the doctrine of sin? And why do we have to understand that everything's changed, but there's a chance and there's a way back 
to Eden. And most of that is because before you can be found, you have to know you're lost. Satan's greatest strategy is to make you think you got, to make you think that you have what you need. Satan's greatest strategy in America is to make you think the American dream is actually the will of God. And, and Satan's big, biggest strategy for that is for us to for really pretend that sin didn't happen and that God's just this happy thing that made heaven for us. And if we work really hard, we'll get there. And if we don't, we don't. We really don't like the idea of hell. But we, if we work hard, we're a good person. Heaven may be an opportunity for us. And everything else, we're just going to try to live our best version of our life. Be your best version of yourself. And the reality is, that's just complete heresy. Like None of that's true. All of that will wind up in the pit. So what I want to do is break down sin so we can understand redemption. Because God's redemption story is beautiful. Everything in this Bible points to what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus did, and what Jesus will do again. But before you can partake in that redemption story, you have to understand why do I need to be redeemed. So first and foremost, what is the concept of original sin or sin doctrine? And what sin says is sin is, comes from the seed of Adam. So every man and woman born on this earth is, is born through the sin nature. You were born a sinner. We come out of the womb with a sin nature. You are born a sinner, so you sin. You do not become a sinner because you sinned. Does that make sense? Does that track? You were born a sinner, so thus you're going to sin. You didn't come out of the womb with a clear slate, and then the first time you sinned, then you went into the sin category. You came out of the womb, and every breath was of sin nature. Every breath was contrary to the will of God. You are born a sinner. And I know that's really hard to stomach. Because I have two beautiful kids that if you called evil, we would have issues. But the idea is, here's, my, here's the truth. My son didn't need any lessons on how to lie. That's what I get. I talked about the I talked about atonement. I talked about the first time I said my kid's a little punk. You're like, yes, he is. I know, I know. We're good. We're good. Green, write that down. He is though, man. He's probably drop kicked half your kids. I love him to death. But I don't know why my two year old looks has the body of a five year old and he knows it and he just walks around. But I'm gonna use Asher one because by the time he hears this podcast, he'll be like ten. This probably only podcast may only be in syndication. I don't know, but I'm gonna use it. So my son walks around um, like a mixture, bef- like of Conor McGregor and Jax Teller of Sons of Anarchy. And if you don't know what any of those are, it's because you're a better person than me. But Anyways, that's how my son walks around, right? Just strutting. I didn't teach him how to, I didn't, well, some could argue, I didn't teach him how to strut. As soon as I said that, Mark's like, kind of did. But that's a good example of sin nature. Um, he walks around like that. He, he bit my daughter the other day, and I quote, because she's gooshy. And she is gooshy. But I didn't have to teach him that. He came out of the womb with a rebellious nature, despite who his father is, because of sin nature. I'm getting a lot of laughs out of sin nature. Like, we've been like, I'm really, I was really worried about how, like, ancestral sin was going to come across. I didn't know if some of you who just love your kids in this millennial world and already eating this, like, organic food with oils on their chest, and you're saying, like, my kid's perfect. You're like, kid's not perfect. But there is a chance that your son and daughter will be atoned for by the grace of God. But you have to understand understand where they're at. You have to understand where you're at. You have to understand that yes, everything I do is a sin nature. Everything I do is from the brokenness of man, but there is a, a Savior out there who is already atoned for my sin. And he's just asking for you to come into His fold. 
You have to understand that. It is vital because anything else is going to get you lost. You can't actually understand salvation if you don't understand that you have to be saved. The beauty of this, if you look through Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes about it. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, this is Ephesians 5, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying separated from you trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of wrath. But verse 4, the two most beautiful words in scripture but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ he is saying yes you were born a sinner but you can die and be in the presence of Christ Yes, you came out of your womb, out of the, the, the seed of Adam, but there is still a time for redemption. We see in Romans chapter 5 where Paul writes, Yes, by the sin of one man all sin entered the world, but by the death of another and the obedience of him we are made righteous through Christ. The wages of sin are death. And it's sad. It, it, God clearly tells Adam, from dust you came and from dust you will return. And I, again, we joke, but I don't have to talk you into the fact that you live in a broken world. I don't have to sell you on the fact that sin reigns in this world and that this is Satan's territory, right? This is a broken world in need of a Savior. Romans chapter 6 literally says the wages of sin is so this week, I had to go to a funeral of a good buddy who uh, I was uh, born and raised with. I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school with him. 32-year-old uh, guy, been married for nine years, has a four-year-old, two-year-old, and a seven-month-old. Saturday morning, had a heart attack, went to be with Savior. No health issues, no nothing. No one knew anything. He, he, he woke up and he, he woke up that morning with his family, uh, had a heart attack, and then woke up in the presence of his Savior. And he is a child of God. We will see him again. But it is painful. It is painful to think that, hey, there was a guy just doing his thing. Had a family, had a wife, had, had young, young kids, and, and doesn't get to watch them grow up. Those kids aren't going to have a dad. Uh, uh, a biological father walk alongside them. There's, there's a woman today, March 10th, who is probably questioning her faith. She's probably questioning everything she's believed in because everything she's ever known was taken away from her. And, and there's, there's sadness in that. There's pain in that. There's separation in that. But the beautiful thing is, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 15, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because yes, because of sin, we have to live in a broken world. Because of sin, uh, we will have a last day. Because of sin, we will lose loved ones. Because of sin, we will see brokenness abound. We'll see families torn apart. We'll see people go astray. But we know that because of what our Christ did, because of what our Savior did, what God did for us, that there is hope. And if, if you get anything from Genesis 3, I pray that it's hope. 
I hope, I pray that you go out here saying like, yes, this world is broken, and I wasn't uh, ignorant to that. I'm not ignorant to it now, but there is hope through sin because of salvation. Revelation chapter 21 reads, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And it's easy to hear this and think of it as another Sunday school story, right? The, the blue flannel graph, um, the apple and the snake with feet, and then you change the, to the snake with no feet. Um, I've taught that lesson. And, the, and there, is, there is beauty there, and there is simplicity there where fruit was eaten out of Eden. There we live, and, and Christ came and saved us. But we have to understand the nature of sin. We have to understand the nature of ourself if we're going to live out our calling, if we're going to be the sons and daughters of Christ. If we're going to say, hey, God's called me to live this way, but I still know there's going to be wars. I still know there's going to be battles for my soul. There's still going to be things come at me and try to make me a worse husband or a worse wife. It's going to try to make me go off the path because we do live in a broken world that you know that hope reigns supreme. That you have a Savior out there that died for you, rose again, and is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting and yearning for the day we are reconnected. And I, I find peace in that. And I, that doesn't mean tomorrow is not going to be hard. Tomorrow could be brutally hard. I don't know where you're at, but I know there is hope and I know there is peace in your Savior. And I'm talking about that like you're already there. And I pray that everyone under my voice is. But I also think that if there's a chance that you're not calling Christ your King, I pray that you wouldn't leave this building today without talking to us. We're, we don't do altar calls. That may change soon. I don't know. I have a lot of, of Baptist blood flowing through my veins. But this is the closest thing we've done in a while. That if you're not calling Christ your King, if you understand that the world's broken, but you're not sure how it's going to be mended, I pray that you don't leave this building without talking to somebody. You can talk to me, you can talk to Jamin, you can talk to anyone. That if you're saying, I get that the world's broken, but I don't see a way through it, there's a way through it. There's a beautiful, beautiful way through it. And I pray that we can walk alongside you and point you to the truth that is Christ. Let me pray over us and we're going to sing another song. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the this, this sin nature that we are. I, I have no misconceptions that if I wasn't in that garden, I would have done the same thing because I'm a broken human. But God, I am thankful that's not where the story ends. I'm thankful for, for a God who, who holds me accountable but clothes me anyways. I'm thankful for a God who shed blood in Genesis 3 and shed blood of His own Son that we may be atoned, that we may be redeemed, and that we may know the presence of a sovereign God. God, I am thankful for the truths of our life that cannot be taken away, that this is a broken world and there is sadness and there is pain and there is death, but that what reigns over all of those things is the hope of Christ. God, I pray that the hope of Christ reigns in the life of every person in this room, your sons and your daughters. God, I pray that this week we live out that hope in this broken world and we do all things for your will and for your glory. Amen.